0: The T Health Show, your medical lifestyle podcast, brought to you by
1: the T Clinic.
2: Good morning, I'm Dr. Mark. This is the Tea Health Show. In studio, we have the usual gang, Stacey Holland, our gut coach, Sister Elise Fun Art, clinical assistant in the Tea um, Clinic, and our producer, Simpiwe, whose surname after two years I still don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: some
2: tattoo
0: Okay. <laughs>
2: okay. Guys, so, um, for the past two weeks, we've been chatting about detoxifying the mind and body. And what came out so clearly from this is the metabolic state of the body that's not functioning. So today we're going to talk about metabolic disease, what it is, where it comes from, and just how dangerous it is. So, Simpiwe, I'm going to start with you. Exam time again. (laughs) Um, We've spoken about metabolic disease on previous shows. Can you remember um, some of the conditions that makes up metabolic disease?
0: Can I ask a
2: friend So it's like it's too early <laughs> no. and I not big enough. <laughs> you can't ask a friend Let's name? ask this Is it something that you've ever heard of Other than in the show
0: No mm.
2: Okay So have you heard of Shall we give it to her or not mm. <laughs> I'm trying to say You've heard of hypertension Yes You've heard of diabetes. Yes. Cholesterol. hmm Obesity.
0: Mm-hmm. Everyday words. Everyday okay. words <laughs> <laughs> I wanna know about your circles, girl.
2: <laughs> so the official um d- definition of metabolic disease will be explained by Sister Elise. No. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> Mark
0: is in a mood today and he's just <laughs> the baton.
2: Okay. So, no. The official um, definitions of metabolic disease mm-hmm. is a group of risk factors that when you have them, Gives us metabolic disease or in medical terms also referred to as syndrome X. And those are blood pressure mm-hmm. higher than 130 over 85. Now, um, I'm immediately looking over at Sister Elise. And Sister Elise, what do you think about that blood pressure? It's, it sounds fairly normal, actually. For the majority of people that walk around, a blood pressure of 130 over 85. Haven't
0: we shifted these blood p- pressure standards because of this? Precisely because? So actually, um, no. But are we still let, going back to, okay.
1: I wanted okay. to say, I wanted to go where you go going. Yeah. The average blood pressure that we do get in the practice is more than 180, 130 over 85. So
2: Absolutely. Yeah,
1: That is something that's also up in the air for us, mm. is that um, what is normal nowadays. Okay, so
2: can I give you the new um, American Heart Association's um, definition of blood pressure? Mm-hmm. A blood pressure of 140 over 90 or higher is classified as hypertension. Okay. So that is what we learned when you and I were doing our studies. And Stacey, this is something that you're familiar with. Mm. But a while ago, the definition was stage one hypertension, 130 over 85. That was stage one hypertension. Interesting. But you had to have some other risk factors, okay. mm. so and those risk factors include the risk factors for metabolic disease. Yes. So they have kept metabolic disease, the blood pressure of a hundred and thirty, over eighty five as this is where metabolic disease starts coming into play. is
1: that a consistent blood pressure or consistent is that consistent blood a, a
2: pressure, a, not a single blood pressure measurement. So Elise actually oh, I'm so yeah, glad how consistent would you need I'm to so measure. glad that you asked that question because often we have patients that comes into our office and when we do their blood pressure, they suddenly confronted with a blood pressure of 150 over 95 or 100 and said, but I've never had high blood pressure. Mm. And none of us wear white coats mm-hmm. in our practice. So, you know, it's simply, do you know what white coat syndrome is? No. Okay. You're clueless
1: today.
0: Actually, I think she's like, I'm, I'm not playing this on game on on today. <laughs> i keep on asking
2: questions. <laughs> Um. So Elise, do you want to tell us what uh, white coat syndrome is? It's
1: that fear. Oh, I'm going to see the doctor now. What's wrong? Maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe he thinks I've got school sick.
0: No, but doctors that. Doctors <laughs> always give you bad news.
2: <laughs> oh, crap, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, my my patients—it's
0: the anxiety <laughs> induced from yeah. seeing that white coat and, and, and white. Am come I with.
1: crazy that I'm feeling all the systems He's mm. going to tell me no, there's nothing wrong mm. with
2: you? And, and okay, and. so white coat syndrome is a very well described uh, condition where patients walk mm. into a doctor's office and their blood pressure starts elevating <laughs> specifically because of fear and anxiety. Yeah. Um. So we always recommend that our patients, if we see an elevated blood pressure and the GP has told them that their blood pressure is normal or they haven't tested it, we recommend that everyone goes and gets a portable um, blood pressure monitor, one that they can use at home. And we tell them to write down a morning mm-hmm. and an evening blood pressure for at least Ten days, mm. and only then do we start making any assumptions about the blood pressure.
0: well now you have nice, fancy ones with apps, so the app can track it for you yeah, as please well. just
2: don 't try and do this on your um smart watch. Mm-hmm. Your smart watch is not a um, sphincter manometer, in other words, it doesn 't inflate so mm. um you need, you need a proper blood pressure cuff. The one that I like yeah. is actually the wrist cuff because it's easy to use for patients. Ah. You just put it around your wrist, wrist, you strap it fast, it blows up, and it takes your blood pressure around the radial artery. Mm. Instead of the cubital artery that sits in your arm.
0: I have a question. You know, with IBD and IBS, we've discussed this, that IBD is when disease is actually set in where someone can have IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, um, but not be at the extent of being diagnosed with IBD. Is it the same thing with metabolic disease and syndrome? Are we still seeing that? Is it a case of someone could be very close experiencing the symptoms of metabolic syndrome?
2: Well, Stace, before we answer that question, Mm. let's just run through all of them. Okay, cool. Okay, and then we'll circle back to that one. Yes, because that's how we describe a disease versus Mm. a syndrome. Syndrome. Okay, then we look at cholesterol levels, and Mm -hmm. this one is actually quite shocking. So, when we look at cholesterol, and before we look at the values, I'm going to ask Stace Mm. to just run through cholesterol for us.
0: Quickly. So, cholesterol is a lipid. It's one of the classes of lipids, fatty substance in our body. Our blood is predominantly water. And so, some you know oil and water don't mix, don't mix. got
1: something right <laughs> well, it's
0: the question <laughs> Okay, so oil and water don't mix however we need cholesterol for so many things in the body um, it's involved in so many cellular processes in fact it is the membrane it's involved in the fluidity of the membrane of every single cell in yeah. the body and doing what we do in the practice which is hormone optimization you cannot make hormones without cholesterol so the body needs it everywhere but how Does it transport fat in a water Soluble medium well it then Puts it into what we know as What are called lipoproteins A little bit of protein And a little bit of lipid Lipoprotein now there are various Sizes and various densities and we won't Go into that but basically when you see And you go for a lipid
2: uh, um, um, A cholesterol
0: test You see LDL HDL Uh There are various densities And sizes of these cholesterol or Lipoprotein molecules some take cholesterol from the liver to the cells and others take cholesterol from the cells back to the liver. So what has previously been known as Good cholesterol than bad cholesterol. We have to move away from that because the analogy is like there's no such thing as a good or bad ambulance. You have an ambulance with patients in and you have an ambulance without patients in. But the ambulance and the mechanism of moving patients between the hospital and home can't be deemed bad. It's when things break down or as Destin has explained to us, it's calling a garbage bag bad. No, you need to get rid of your... Mm -hmm. Your garbage, um, and so we're learning a lot more about the size of particles. It's believed that smaller particles, smaller lipoproteins, can lead to a cardiac event. Yes, and so, so assessing that's, that's your LDL yeah, and while the it's low, even the small density yeah, LDL, the, the very smaller low types, density. yes, and so when you have a discussion with your doctor, you need to go into this type of detail these ratios that we look at and um it's not just about total cholesterol in fact you shouldn't even just look at you shouldn't look at total cholesterol
2: Mm. you should look at the ratio yes but tell us about triglycerides so
0: triglycerides are also a form of fat that are carried in um these lipoproteins as well so you'll have cholesterol in there you'll have protein and you'll have triglycerides as well
2: so triglycerides is basically free fats yes Okay.
0: Of various sizes. Okay. As well. so, so, what is non-HDL cholesterol? Your then? LDL then, or your various subparticles
2: so of LDL? Non-LDL cholesterol would be very low lipid density um, cholesterol plus low density lipid cholesterol plus apolipoprotein oh cholesterol, my and all. And, so, and you know, it's, it's actually quite—it's it's Yes. Yeah.
0: And and you know, I think it's something that we also. Still, we know enough, but we, there's still a lot that we're learning about no. it. Yeah.
2: So, when it comes to metabolic disease, um, you look at your triglycerides, those mm-hmm. free fats, which you derive from your diet, mm-hmm. and the high-density lipoproteins, the good cholesterol. So, when your good cholesterol is below one, it's one of your signs or the conditions of metabolic disease and if your triglycerides are elevated above 1.7 it's um, one of the conditions of metabolic disease. So if we look at that hmm. it's the majority of people Um, A good cholesterol is a cholesterol level, total cholesterol level, usually seen below 5, with a ratio of that total cholesterol, HDL cholesterol, of below 4, and triglycerides below, or actually above, below 1.6 and if your good cholesterol starts creeping up towards 1.6, 1.7 it actually becomes a negative risk factor for cardiovascular disease. So it's about the types of cholesterol that you have and that we all get from our diet. Stacy will tell us a little bit about that. Sims, you had a question.
0: Yes, so without looking at like the numbers of like five, what, 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 is there like symptoms that I could look out for to like Tell if I have high cholesterol? No. It's a good question.
2: That's the problem. Other than Sure. And let's let's continue and then we'll answer these questions and you'll see why I say no. And this is what makes metabolic disease so incredibly dangerous. So the next one mm-hmm. that we look at is Glucose. Mm. So glucose levels, sugars that are in your blood. And here we look at fasting glucose levels. So that would be where you have not eaten for eight hours Mm -hmm. and we take a blood test or a very accurate finger prick test with a device that is recently calibrated.
0: Wouldn't it be more accurate for the patient, like we're asking them to test blood pressure regularly, to rather do their own finger prick at home, postprandial?
2: You can. Well, that's postprandial means after eating.
0: Mm, but would it not give us a better <coughs> overall picture of their glucose metabolism in a so, sort of maybe a week to 10 days, like the blood pressure, as opposed to. I know.
2: HbA1c I, or any of those other types of things? There, I would go with HbA1c. hba one Because, it, you know what? If I know that I'm going to have to test my blood sugar um, before I eat and after I eat, I'm going to try and eat healthy for a week. But you can't so do you that. I think that for psychologically six
0: weeks. it's going to affect. Okay.
2: Okay. So if your fasting blood glucose level mm-hmm. is above, and this for me was shocking, I had to ask Sister Elise to double check me. 5.5, um, 5. it's uh, one of the conditions that's associated with metabolic disease. And again, this is the majority of our patients. Mm. And then the last and only one mm-hmm. that's obvious is your waist circumference. Mm. So for men, a waist circumference, in other words, if you take a measurement Around your belly button of more than 101.6 centimeters to be exact, so let's make it 100 centimeters.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I'm a good 82.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> or females with a um, waist circumference of more than 88. It's a sign of metabolic disease. So if we put those together, a slightly elevated blood pressure, mm-hmm. a cholesterol level that's not optimal with HDL um, that's lowered or your free fats that's elevated, glucose levels of 5.5 and above, and weight gain specifically around the abdomen. And this is your, your thin fat people or your fat thin people. Uh, where you look like a little tick. Thin legs, thin arms, but big belly. (laughs) So, um, those patients have metabolic disease. The problem that we have with metabolic disease, and I want you to listen to this carefully, is that you have a 25% higher risk (laughs) of developing heart attacks and strokes. But you have a five times higher risk of developing diabetes. The problem is one in six patients have metabolic disease and they're completely unaware of it.
0: Mm. I was there. I had no idea. So, Sims, um,
2: can sure. you see why this is important that we do screening tests? And Sister Elise and I was on the show a couple of months ago, it was somewhere in February, mm-hmm. Elise, yes. um, where we spoke about the screening tests that everyone should do on a yearly basis. But these are things that you can check at home, mm. like Stacey just said. I you think know.
1: that's very important to state that, is the things that you are, can check at home is those four things. But there's deeper systemic problems that you're not aware of that Um, can be treated as well
2: in every single article study um, recommendation textbook it emphasizes that metabolic disease is a medical diagnosis, it's a diagnosis made by your GP Um, the problem with metabolic disorder is it's if you do not treat it, your life expectancy is far shorter um
0: and it takes a multi pronged approach to treat it, which we'll get to, but it's the same way it's a multi pronged approach to diagnosing it, yeah it's not just fixing one thing, yeah, sure yeah. enough, making one thing better will obviously impact the other things, but i think I think it's good for people to have an understanding that your body didn't break down because of one isolated incident you know there were multiple things that led you here and it's going to take a multi-pronged approach to get you out of it
2: yeah so so that's the official classification Mm. and definition of metabolic disease sister release you did a lot of reading about this or we do a lot of reading in the practice but there's also other conditions um some of which are quite surprising that we saw is associated with metabolic disease. Do you want to? Yeah, I just on want to go those?
1: back one step, okay. and that sure. is a that symptom. <laughs> <laughs> a symptom that comes up quite often in our practice is inflammation, mm. and people are coming in with body aches, yes. and s- they don't understand why they have this little bit of elevated, um, maybe temperature etc cetera, etc cetera. and inflammation is huge for us we measure it specifically and then we can also go investigate more mm. and we need to bring the inflammation down how do we bring it down we look further and address the other symptoms that can be diagnosed with Asking during consultation as well as biochemical markers.
0: Well, it's interesting that apart from measuring for inflammation, like with CRP or IL-6 or anything like that, which Mark can go into, you can also infer that if someone has these metrics that you've just mentioned, that already they are dealing with severe inflammation in the body.
1: And why why is that important? mm -hmm. Why is it important to know if you have any inflammation in your body? Mm -hmm. Is you're always in the fight mode. I Mm -hmm. need to, your your body fights this inflammation all the time. Mm -hmm. And that is the big thing for us, I think, at this.
2: Well, you know what, if we take uh, a, a look at what we discussed in the previous two episodes about detoxification, Toxins, Your body is going to react to them. It's going to activate your immune system. And once your immune system is activated, we have more blood flow to that area. We start releasing cytokines, um, which is markers for your immune response to get activated and mobilized. Not just activated, it's mobilized. Yeah. And what do we do with toxins? If we can't excrete them through your breath, through sweat, through urine, through feces, you're going to start storing them in nuclear storage areas. Okay? And for the body, that's in fat. Right. yeah. So that creates inflammatory reactions in your fat cells, which yeah. stimulate them to get bigger fat cells don't become more, they become bigger.
1: Okay, I have another question for you, Dr. Mark. Of course you do. <laughs> you said one can't see or there's no symptoms sometimes. of high cholesterol. So what about your cholesterol deposits on skin?
2: So those are milia. Um, you refer to those little yellow spots Correct. that sometimes sits on the skin. At least in my experience, um, milieu can be for other reasons as well. So I, you know what, if you see these little, they look like whiteheads, okay. Simpywe. But it's And hard. they sit it's usually around the eye area. Sure. And if you go to a beautician or a somatologist or a aesthetic therapist, they will point that out to you and they will try and get rid of them because they're unsightly. But it's not something that happens in everyone. A year and a half ago, I was sitting with a total cholesterol of 7.7. Did you ever see a million on my face? No. No. Well,
0: I think what's interesting with the cholesterol – oh, sorry – the cholesterol inflammation link, and this is why we have to look beyond total cholesterol. We also have to look beyond what's good and bad cholesterol, is that cholesterol is used in areas of inflammation. And so that's where people – or in the past, research was, well, it's a correlation, but correlation we know doesn't equal causation. So, Mm -hmm. for example, again, for the ambulance analogy – you can't say ambulances cause accidents, can you Some Just because every time you see an accident and there's an ambulance there, you can't necessarily say, oh my gosh, there's an ambulance, it's going to cause an accident, right? But cholesterol is used in these patches and areas of inflammation. It's so vital to the healing that takes place
2: in those areas of inflammation. Huh. I like that, but I'm going to count to you on okay. that. Okay. So if we <clears throat> look at what happens with an accident on the highway and the ambulances come past you, what happens to the rest of the traffic?
0: No, I hear you. And that's why I'm saying it's important for us to look at a much bigger picture. Yes. When we see that cholesterol is elevated, yeah. even when we see the ratios are ever elevated, our initial response is to bring down those that elevation as opposed to saying – why is there so much more cholesterol? What else is happening in the body? Oh, what okay, else is the body you. dealing with? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So
2: let's just um go back to my th- thought because I'm going to lose it. Okay. Um If we look at what cholesterol does mm. in small arteries, is it actually starts sticking to the walls of the artery? And that puts pressure there, it makes those arteries firm, just think about it it's a plaque so think of plaque on your teeth, you have to scrape it off, Mm. so the body also wants to scrape the stuff off because it's um, creating an obstruction in the highway so there's a backlog and now more and more and more cars get stuck and that plaque propagates but if it starts breaking up, think of taxis that start riding over the yellow lines so or even on the gravel to get past this thing, you create damage to the road structure, you create damage to the arteries, and that makes those arteries brittle and hard. And that is where we mm. get the majority of cardiovascular disease from. And the arteries where this happens is mm. not only in your heart, but it happens in the arteries in the neck, the arteries in the brain, mm. the arteries in your kidneys, the arteries in your eyes, and for boys, the artery in the penis So, and sure. sponge tissue. Mm. Elise, we also have some other stuff. Um, some of those that you pointed out to me, which I wasn't aware of. In our practice, we add thyroid to this equation, as well as hypogonadism, which means a lowering of hormone levels in both men and, and women. Woman, yeah. But there are others. Please don't you want to yeah, enlighten and, us? Um,
1: that's something that Stacey and I discussed as well mm. a few times, and I think you were involved, is Picos in mm. women. Polycystic Polycystic. ovarian syndrome. And that is a modern day illness. That's what, how it's classified by most gynecologists. And we don't know the cause of this. It just happens with certain women. Now, poly means a lot. Cystic, cysts on the ovary syndrome. Now, what happens if we ovulate or we have, um, yeah. Let's go with ovulation. We release a certain hormones when we ovulate out of that little sac that the the um, ovum is in.
2: This is your meliorian hormone and progesterone and, and those kinds of things. And your stuff. testosterone and your oestrogen. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, because women release testosterone when they as ovulate. They yeah. So
1: what implications does have that have for women? You have an elevated testosterone level, and that comes with different. Conditions, symptoms, Mm. for instance, excessive hair growth, um, acne, Mm. um, irregular menstruation, inability to lose weight.
2: The one thing that is uh, defining uh, polycystic ovarian disease or syndrome is um, an elevated insulin levels yes. oh, so yeah. your glucose metabolism yeah. is, is no longer functioning yeah
0: but what's interesting is and that you get
2: weight gain so now it makes sense mm. why polycystic ovarian disease could be associated with metabolic exactly. syndrome mm. absolutely and that mm. is
1: an it's not a acquired um, disease it's a Inherited something or something went wrong A disorder, metabolic disorder happens in your body I mean nobody asked for PCOS Mm. You know what I'm saying? No
2: one wants to ask for exactly. Especially girls who are starting um, their journey um, into womanhood Because they are the ones at school that have weight gain Mm. They are the ones at school who have bad skin they the ones that are a little bit more hairy than their friends. Um, and you're already
0: dealing with so much emotionally that you just not mm-hmm. to add. And this. something that
1: I read mm-hmm. as well is that was really re- a revelation for me. Mothers that has gestational diabetes, diabetes, diabetes during pregnancy, mm-hmm. those children are more prone to develop the metabolic disease than the normal pregnancies.
0: Well, it's not surprising from an epigenetic perspective. Well,
2: actually, if you look at that, it's the baby that causes the mother to, to have, have um, gestational diabetes. Yeah. So, you know, what? It, it makes absolutely. sense.
0: You know, I, I read the other day that we should stop looking at DNA as a blueprint yes. and rather as a recipe, even though they have similar it's a similar concept and a similar idea. And the reason this um, professor said that, he said, you can make a cake, but the environment in which you make the cake and the ingredients in which you make the cake, even if you follow the same recipe, will determine how good that cake is. Mm-hmm. And so if we keep looking at DNA as just this, simply this blueprint, we forget that the environment and the, the quality of ingredients play such an important role in the outcome. And so that makes sense from a gestational perspective That process of DNA transcribing all the time is taking place in what type of an environment?
2: So I read an article um, not long ago, I think it was in a week or so ago, um, about um, our genome. So when they took the human genetic um, code and they sequenced it, it, I think they found something like 26,000 genes. Mm. Am I correct? Mm. But… There are a thousand, trillions times more genetic material which they don't know what it does. And it's actually called the dark genome.
0: Mm. And
2: the dark genome affects how the genes express proteins. So it's like, have you ever heard of dark matter, Simpiwe? Yes, I have. We st- still don't know what dark matter does, but we do know that if it wasn't for dark matter, life, uh, the universe cannot exist. Mm-hmm. So this is exactly the same thing, is we still don't know what this dark genome is, mm. but we do know that it is what's responsible for your genes that we've identified. To actually function.
0: And this is so important because while I think it is a relief, and and Elise, you can sort of speak to this, I think it's a relief when people that have been battling with something like metabolic syndrome, when they realize that either one or more of these conditions and the syndrome itself has genetic underpinnings, Mm. they almost feel like, okay, it's not something that I've necessarily done. But some people get stuck there, right? So they believe because something is genetic, well, then what can I do? Nothing. And I think it's important that even though we can acknowledge and bring someone relief that, hey, you know, maybe it's not necessarily something you did in all these areas. Maybe there is a genetic under underpinning to this. There's a lot that you can do. We have to move past the fact that it's genetic. because people I tend think to that think, gives
1: that person the freedom to choose. Okay. I hear you. Yeah. yeah. You know. Do I want to do this or the freedom with – and the freedom comes with knowledge. Mm. And that's what we try to do here mm. is to say, we'll want to give you the knowledge that whatever is happening with you, mm. you can get the
2: information and deal with it.
1: But don't believe that because it's genetic, there's nothing yeah, that
2: you can do. Exactly. Yeah. I, I'm quite tempted to actually agree with some Peewe on no – um, Elise, how many times have we seen patients? And Stacy, you've also seen mm-hmm. patients that come to us and they've had genetic testing done, mm-hmm. or DNA testing, and they come there with a fifty-four-page report yeah. of this and this and, this and this and this and this and this and this and this, and there's absolutely bugger all that it tells us as clinicians. It tells us nothing.
1: But I also think the trend of those reports are basically the same. That's true. I agree with you completely. Everyone
0: should be on the Mediterranean.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And everyone has an estrogen deficiency in some or another gene or this or that. That's the female side of it.
2: I think it it has a place for patients with a very strong history of cancer, for instance, to see whether they are also genetically predisposed to develop cancer. But what we need to understand is if you have a gene and and it functions normally Mm -hmm. it doesn't change your risk it's when the genes function starts altering or you've done something Mm -hmm. that changes the condition so if we look at risk I always explain it every single time we get in the car to drive to your local grocery shop you have a risk of being in an accident If it's a nice sunny day, you're alone on the road, the risk of being in an accident is low. Mm -hmm. Let's change the conditions. Mm. We make it a very big storm in rush hour. You're chances of being in an accident Uh is higher. Therefore, Mm. you need to change your behavior. Mm. You need to keep a better following distance. You need to put on your wipers. You need to drive slower. You need to put on your headlights. So that is where genetic testing can help, is making you aware that if I do not keep my metabolism, in other words the metabolic function um, and those chemical processes normal, healthy, my risk is going to change. Mm. Mm. Is fair to say that? And that's where we
1: come in with, where we start off with nutritional
2: efficiency mm. or deficiency. Mm. Well, That's least, the basics where um, we start. Let's, let's look at those first four major contributing factors to metabolic disease. Hypertension, cholesterol, weight, glucose. How do we control that lifestyle? Yeah. So it all boils down to lifestyle.
0: Tell people are diseases of lifestyle in isolated forms.
1: Yeah.
0: Individually. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So I want to. In our practice, we add thyroid Mm -hmm. to that because your thyroid is part of your energy metabolism. Um, I've used the analogy, Stacey, um, see if you agree with this one. If we look at your energy metabolism, it's the body takes in energy, fossil fuel. Okay. Okay, let's make it um, coal. And that coal is in your um, (laughs) blood vessels, glucose is in the blood, but In the blood, it means nothing. It cannot be used if it's just in the blood. It needs to be transported to the power station, to Kusile, which is always broken down. Okay. So, (laughs) to transport this coal, you need Transnet, which is also broken down. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, Transnet puts the coal onto these Kilometer and a half long trains. Johnny works on the trains. Okay, I did. Oh, that. So how long are those trains? Kilometers long. Yeah. And that is a yeah. very effective way of transporting the coal because you have one train and it can do a lot. But if a railway system breaks down, how are we going to start transporting this coal? We're going to now start putting it on trucks. Hmm. What does that mean to the amount of trucks that we use? trucks increase insulin is that transport system and if we have a lot of coal that needs to be transported we need more trucks so insulin levels go up Mm. and stacy will tell you that insulin is an inflammatory hormone Mm. okay it's a stress hormone it elevates in times of stress when the body is inflamed and then we get to the power station. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we get the coal to the power station, and now it's useless.
0: Why? This because what like do you South do Africa. with coal? <laughs> <laughs>
2: no, no, Can you see why I'm using ESCOM? It no, works no, like, beautifully. Yo. What do you do with the coal at ESCOM? Aren't
0: you supposed to burn it or something? You're supposed
2: to burn it. Mm-hmm. So where do you burn it? In those towers. Yeah. And then... It creates steam, which makes energy. Mm -hmm. So your glucose needs to go into the cell, the power station, where it's burned to make something called ATP. And ATP is what the body uses as electricity. Mm -hmm. That's where its energy comes from. Your thyroid Mm -hmm. is responsible for the way and the heat of these Hmm. So if your thyroid is not functioning Uh optimally, it doesn't burn the energy efficiently. So
0: in this analogy, it's low shedding?
2: Low shedding. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Where the body starts shutting systems down because there's not enough energy. So you have an excess of coal. In South Africa, we have enough coal to provide for our own needs. So if you have a healthy diet, you have enough coal. Mm-hmm. If you transport it effectively, there's enough coal at the power station. And if the power station is functioning properly, mm-hmm. you have no load shedding. Do you get that? So this is why in our practice, we include your thyroid as part of metabolic disease.
0: And it's why if someone does have hypo low, <coughs> hypothyroidism sometimes reducing carbohydrates too much can exacerbate that problem so and and a nice way that many people can actually start checking if there's some thyroid issues are you the person that always has cold feet and cold hands it might not be that but it usually is a good indication because that metabolic fire is so low and if you're the one with clammy hands clammy feet anxiety you often feel like your heart is racing. That might be the indication then of hyperthyroidism. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> but I also think we need to mention that we also treat the gut in our practice. Yeah. So
2: um, I told you earlier about what happens at an accident. And now suddenly you have a lot of people climbing out of their cars trying to take a look. The oncoming traffic is slowing down. Etc., etc., and one of the biggest changes of elevated cholesterol levels in the blood is it changes your microbiome, mm.
1: yes, and, and intestinal the blood, permeability the, the as well. B- the, blood,
2: b- the blood biome, as well, mm. because there's organisms in the blood, Everywhere. commensal organisms in the blood. What
1: the world?
2: What I don't know, it's Micro. something that's <laughs>
1: They Beneficial. come up with words. They think
0: <laughs> <laughs> us duplips know what they're talking. So about. they they are residents. They're not just visitors. Commens. they're residents. Commencell, which
2: means that you know they live together. together. Okay. okay, so it's a symbiotic.
1: <laughs> that word I
2: understand. Yes. Symbiotic.
0: <laughs> you remember mutualism, commensalism. I know mutualism, yeah.
1: mutualism. But the
0: interesting thing with the gut, and I think we did mention it earlier on, in cholesterol is. We think that a lot of dietary cholesterol impacts our total cholesterol level, and it's not the case. The form in which the cholesterol comes in through our diet is not necessarily the form in which we see cholesterol being transported or being used within the system. It's not to say that a, a diet, a, a fatty diet, doesn't impact our total cholesterol. We know that saturated fats do play a role. We know that trans fats Just explain. Do play
2: a role saturated and trans fats because for the -the run-of-the-mill person who doesn't live in um, Los Angeles um, and (laughs) eat air and mung beans, they don't know what trans fats are.
0: I wish I could draw it for people, but basically, if you think of a fat molecule, the one part of the molecule you want to think of are carbons and hydrogens that come together. When you have saturated fats, all the bonds – Hmm. All the bonds are saturated. So carbon has its four hydrogens around so it.
2: So basically think about the saturated fat as when you've cooked some nice fatty piece of bourgeois, it's that fat that gets hard. hard
0: and stiff, yes. Even a if even a block of meat. But how I want you to think of it, can you think of a matchstick? Mm-hmm. Okay, you have the head of the matchstick. That's the top of the molecule. I have it. A- and the bottom, the stick part you always take things somewhere else (laughs) the stick pot if you had to line matchsticks together Mm -hmm. that would look at like saturated fats right but i can't even concentrate (laughs) anymore. (laughs) whereas unsaturated fats have a kink in them oh
1: goodness okay and now (laughs) don't look at words right
0: don't and so they him. do not stack together, <laughs> okay. and therefore they are more fluid. Okay, okay, and and this we could do an entire podcast on. But coming back to our She's diet, <laughs> coming Can't back I to see, he's blushing. <laughs> So the podcast derailed <laughs> into innuendo, <laughs> as opposed to saturated fat. What was my point? <laughs> okay, so we eat in cholesterol, for example, in eggs. People have been have become so afraid of eggs because the yolk is high cholesterol. Organ meat is high in cholesterol. We need those foods, but the the way in which we consume cholesterol, the gut is responsible for making sure that certain types of cholesterols get into the body. And so this is why when we see someone with elevated cholesterol markers, we actually do need to look at their gut health. Mm-hmm. What is happening? There are various gates, there are various openings, various transporters in the gut yeah. that will determine what happens in the rest of the body. And so if, if someone with elevated cholesterol, we can then say, okay, there's something going on in the gut.
2: Yeah. So I... I often, not often, I very, very often ask patients. And there was a patient that I saw yesterday. I've seen so many patients in the last two days. I don't know. Yesterday or the day before, who is, <clears throat> it's a guy, Um, used to be an, an athlete, ran 100 meters, uh, 10.4 seconds.
0: That's so
2: that's fast.
0: It's flipping fast, yeah.
2: Um. meters tall, weighing 100 kilograms, saying to me, but he eats healthy. Mm. So I said to them, I I asked the question, and I think listeners, uh, ask yourself this question. If you are battling with weight, does my diet, is that what I'm consuming Mm. and eating? Is that what is making me fat? Because if you say that you have a healthy diet and you're fat, I think what Stacy just explained, its there's a problem in your microbiome. There's a problem with your gut mobility, mm. your gut permeability, mm. your thyroid, your cholesterol metabolism. Mm. If you think that, um, you're not eating a lot but you're not losing weight mm. what is the problem the problem sits with the organisms that lives within you mm. and
0: I, and the organ
2: that has Sims, to process does it, it make yeah. sense it yeah. does so you know what let's look at you you embarked on a weight loss program but before you did mm-hmm. that were you someone that overate
0: So one thing I did learn is that in our minds and our heads, you think you're eating correctly Mm. um, and you don't ever take into account all the like the bad things that you you, you really eat eat? until you write it down. So I think that's the first Ah, thing to do. Wonderful. So like in my mind, I was like, I'm eating healthy. Mm. But in reality, you like don't realize you've been eating a chocolate every day for the past six days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Or that's even I mean, unhulp. But I think there's two points here. The one point is people are usually not aware of what they're eating. In fact, I had a, a client who told me she ate vegetables every day. And when we did the food journal, she <laughs> ate vegetables, cream spinach, on a Sunday at lunch.
2: <laughs> that was the only vegetable she had for the entire week. And it's Oh well, they think vegetables it, are Potatoes yeah, and yeah, yeah. broccoli with cheese sauce yeah, and cauliflower yeah. bake and but when s- we,
1: vegetables.
2: When we did- <laughs> they are vegetables. <laughs> it's what you put with them.
0: 100%. But when we did this food diary, you could see it hit her that yeah. she didn't even realize. But what Mark is saying is that some people, when they have metabolic syndrome or metabolic disease, <laughs> they get to a point where they are not even eating much. And yet the body is storing everything they have as fat. It's not even going to the rest of the system. It's not using any of those nutrients to heal itself, to fix some of the issues. And so it is, you know, that my 600-pound life mm-hmm. show on television, if you see some people, they really do chow down, right? But some of those patients are eating practically nothing, and they're still have huge adiposity. They still have all of these these issues that we're talking about. That is a sign that the system is completely broken. Sure. All the resources are coming in, but mm-hmm. the body cannot actually use those resources. And
2: I think um, in saying that, one of the other conditions which Elise pointed out to us prior to the show that is associated with metabolic syndrome is something called non-alcoholic fatty liver syndrome. Yeah. And this is where your liver <clears throat> your liver gets damaged uh, not through alcohol, hmm. but through diet, other toxins, metals which it needs to hmm. manage and move into your excretion zones. And that causes damage. So that liver doesn't function properly. And non alcoholic fatty liver syndrome is, um, seen with not elevated bilirubins and things like that, but with gamma GT and, um, ALT, and ALT. Yeah. Um, alanine transaminase. Mm. Um, and transaminase is a, a enzyme that moves, um, Things around, and if it starts elevating, it's again that analogy. There's too much for, for, um, work to be done for one person. So now we employ four, five, six, all like government. Um, you know what, where there's lots of them that still can't get the work done. Mm. So non-alcoholic fatty liver disease also forms a part, and you need to be aware of these. Things. And
0: that's actually a good reason. I don't think people connect this, these dots. Why do we need microbes in our system? There are so many processes that the body needs to embark on. There are so many chemical reactions. Microbes actually ease the burden, as long as they're the right microbes. Yeah. They actually aid in all these processes that need to, to take place.
2: Yeah. Well, we cannot live without them. No. Um, you cannot live with organisms outside of your gut, outside mm. on top of your skin, and you know what we saw this with um, COVID, where everyone was sanitizing mm. and started developing um, skin conditions, and just look at what happened. And suppressed um, immunity with the um, our immune systems when mm. we took the masks off, mm. everyone got flus and colds. Which they never did. Why? Because we kept being exposed to them and we built up an immune system. Mm. And when we weakened the immune system just for wearing a mask in public for a year. How long did we mm. wear masks? Mm. No, way. Um, more,
1: yeah. than more than two years. years. Was yeah. it
2: full on two years? Yeah. I never wore. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We know this is the that one area
0: this is the one area where I think maybe some some genetic testing helps. And I know we touched on it in our previous episode with Divya, in terms of detoxification. If someone is struggling in one of their detox pathways, you might find that they're doing all the healthy things but not necessarily getting the healthy results. Okay. So that's where it might it might aid, but it's it's something that you only test towards the end when we've built the foundation.
2: Okay. So sorry, guys, I didn't realize the time we've been busy for. How long, Sims? How much time do we have left? She's laughing. Fifteen yeah. minutes? Five Five Okay, so we need to start wrapping up You usually give me the lasso before <laughs> She was <then>.
0: enjoying it
2: <laughs> Okay, so um, next week we're going to be talking about how do we manage metabolic disease cool. But let's just recap mm-hmm. for today Metabolic disease, it's a silent killer Because very often, other than abdominal weight gain We are completely unaware of it It's associated by a blood pressure that's elevated and far lower than what we want to believe, 130 over 85. If we start creeping above that, you know what? Warning sign. Watch it. Cholesterol. All of us have cholesterol. It's essential for our daily functioning, making hormones, keeping our cell membranes intact. But there's good cholesterol and there's bad fats. Mm. And if the bad fats are elevated, the good cholesterol is low. And the ratio of your total cholesterol versus HDL is above 4, or your triglycerides is above 1.7. You have a first sign of metabolic disease. That
1: crept up from
2: 1.5, 1.6,
1: 1.7. Yeah. <laughs>
2: and – Then we have glucose levels. Metabolic disease starts with glucose levels, a fasting glucose level above 5.5, which is not diabetes. Diabetes starts with a fasting glucose. Of A definitive diagnosis of diabetes is when you have a fasting glucose of above 7. So when you start moving up about 5.5 and you add the weight gain to that, we have a problem. Subclinical hypothyroidism, diseases of your liver, diseases of your ovaries, diseases of your testicles, those are all signs of metabolic disease that increases your risk for developing diabetes, cancer, stroke, so what do we do? Stop smoking, decrease your alcohol, focus on more plant foods, baits, diets, <clears throat>
0: whole foods, yeah. get
2: exercise, um, cardiovascular exercise, and be aware. This is something that's passed down um, to us with genetic traits. If anyone in your family has a metabolic disease, diabetes, hypertension, hypothyroidism, cholesterol. You know what? Be aware of us. So, um, do any one of you want to make a s- closing comment? Mm-hmm. Cecilia, no, We'll start um, with you.
1: Um, okay. I think we've covered most of what mm. we want Stamps?
2: to. No. Sims, do you have a better understanding now of metabolic disease? Yes. Okay. So next week we'll be back for three of us. And um, we're going to talk about how we manage uh, metabolic disease through prescription medication, lifestyle interventions, bespoke supplementation. Um, So, these are most of the things that you can do at home. So, join us again next week. Until then, we wish you all good health.
1: Bye. 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 That
0: was the T-Health Show, empowering you with knowledge. Download all previous episodes on your favorite podcast platform. The T-Health Show is brought to you by T-Clinic.